We are uh, excited, as I mentioned, to launch into a new sermon series tonight called Teach Us to Pray. We're going to take six weeks, and we're going to go through the Lord's Prayer together, line by line, to kind of learn how it is that Jesus instructed his disciples to pray and to see what uh, amazing truths God has for us. And I'll explain a little bit more about the heart behind the series and, and kind of what's going to happen as we go through the teaching tonight. But one thing I do want to say is that we are going to... Uh, add in a couple of these additional service elements. And one of them is that we're going to all say the Lord's Prayer together regularly because I think it's a good practice for us to be in as a church family. So I know you just sat down. I know you just got comfortable, but I'd like to invite you, if you would, please to stand. Uh, we'll put the words up on the screen and we'll all read this out loud together and then I'll open in prayer and then we can dive into uh, the sermon for this evening. And, and by the way, uh, the the version, the translation that we're using is the English Standard Version. If any of you slip into King James on accident and throw a couple of these or thighs in there, that's totally okay. This is a judgment-free zone. Amen? So uh, this is the version that we're going to go with, and we'll, we'll get used to reading this together. So let's say this together. Ready? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father God, we're thankful that we can even come before you like this tonight. God, we're thankful that we can call on you as Father. We don't take that privilege lightly. God, I ask for all of us tonight that we would be particularly mindful that as we gather like this, God, we are not just learning about you or studying about you as though you were far off and distant, but God, you are present with us right now in this very room. And God, we want this time of Bible teaching to be an act of worship to you. And so I pray for myself, God, would you guard my lips, help me to only speak that which is in line with the truth from your word. And God, for all of us tonight, would you give us soft hearts, teachable hearts that we might learn and grow and be shaped to look more like Jesus in whose good name we pray. And everybody said, amen. All right, you can be seated. <clears throat> in Luke chapter 11, it says that Jesus was praying in a certain place. He had kind of gone off into the distance. He was, he was praying. And when he finished and came back, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, would you teach us to pray? And it's always dangerous when you ask Jesus a question, because if you read the gospel stories, you'll see that sometimes the disciples ask what seems like maybe an innocent question, and Jesus either goes into a rebuke, or sometimes he just starts telling parables and stories, and the disciples leave more confused than they were before they asked the question. But in this instance, in Luke chapter 11, in these first verses, the disciples say, Lord, would you teach us to pray as John taught his disciples, John the baptizer? And Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, and then he goes into what we now know as the Lord's Prayer. As an elder team, we, at the beginning of this year, were praying and talking and seeking the Lord. We said, God, what is it that you want us to emphasize? What are the things that we want to be values for us as a church? What are the things that you want to be important for us in the life of the church? And we had a big list at first. I think it was maybe 15 or 18 different items. We said, these are the most important things. And we cut a few out and we switched a few around and we cut a few more out. We got it down to nine. But there were two items on that list that were there from the very beginning that never got replaced, never got cut off. The first one was sound doctrine. We said as a church, we always want to be committed to the, the teaching of sound biblical doctrine, the truth of God's word. And the second one was prayer. 
From day one, we said we want to be a church that values prayer, that, that says we value prayer, but not just says it, but we actually live it out. And as an elder team, and we prayed and we made that decision that that is one of the things that would be a value statement for us, that we as a church would emphasize the importance of prayer. And so this sermon series is part of that. I actually want to read from uh, our value statement for you what it is that we wrote about prayer so you can understand where we as an elder team are coming from. This is what we wrote. There is no such thing as a Christian who doesn't pray. As adopted sons and daughters of God, speaking to our Heavenly Father is what we do. God's primary means of communication to us is through the scriptures, and our primary means of communication to God is through prayer. And let me just put this plainly. Prayer is vital. Prayer is essential. As a a Christian, prayer is a non-negotiable would anybody agree with that? It's, it's, it's impossible to be a Christian who doesn't pray. It's impossible to be someone who doesn't pray and have a healthy spiritual life. And I would tell you this pastorally, uh, myself and the other pastors, we meet with people and we talk to them about maybe struggles they're facing or sins that they're wrestling against or temptations that they're experiencing or, or maybe they have difficulties in their marriage. And, and I, when I ask them, you know, hey, the struggle you're facing, the sin you're, you're wrestling with, how is your prayer life? I have yet to have anyone ever say to me, oh, best it could possibly be. No room to grow. It's amazing. No. <laughs> Usually, most people in those situations would say, actually, if I'm being honest, my prayer life really stinks. That, that your prayer life is deeply connected to your health as a disciple, as a Christian. And so we want to be a praying church. Amen. Would anybody, as members and those who are uh, part of the greater community of Sound City Bible Church, agree with that? We want to be a praying church. So that's the purpose of this sermon series. First of all, is to teach us how to pray. That's the question that the disciples asked Jesus. Lord, would you teach us how to pray? We need instruction. We need to learn. But what's more than that is we don't want to just learn how to pray. We want to pray. It's like, I don't want to just learn how to play the guitar and so take lessons for three years and never play it. No, you want to put that into practice. So we as a church want to pray. We would be uh, failing if we just taught you, well, here's how you pray, and then we didn't foster an environment or create an opportunity for us to actually put that into practice. So those are the two goals for this series, to teach us practically how to pray and to encourage and foster an environment of prayer. Now, Before we turn our attention to the Lord's Prayer specifically, and then even our Father more specifically from that, I want to just talk about prayer in general for a minute. And I want to answer four questions, okay? The first question is, I want to just ask, what is prayer? Second question, I want to ask, why why is prayer important? Third and fourth question, I want to dive into some of the problems. Why don't we pray? And when we do pray, how do we pray wrongly? So we're going to go into some negative territory there. So brace yourselves. Let's ask this first question. What is prayer? And I will simply define prayer as talking to God. Now, some of you are looking at that and you think, well, thank you, Pastor Aaron, but that's kind of a no-duh sort of moment, right? Like, I thought that's, I didn't need to come. It's, it's, I could, I could have just looked that up in a dictionary. Prayer is talking to God. Let me, let me say it to you a different way and see if this helps convey the meaning that I intended. Prayer is talking to God. Do you guys realize how amazing it is that we have been invited to talk to God? 
The one who hung the stars and the planets, the one who filled the oceans and raised up the mountains, the one who breathed life into humanity, the one who put everything together, the one who currently upholds the universe by the word of his power has invited us to talk to him. Does that blow anybody else's minds? What an amazing thought. Please do not skip over how profound that statement is. Prayer is talking to God. And what's more, we have been invited to talk to God. You know that paganism is trying to do some sort of ritual or routine or action to get the gods to pay attention to you. If I do 10 good deeds, then maybe the gods will bless me. Maybe the gods will listen to me. No, the Christian faith, the Christian teaching is that God not only hears our prayer, he's delighted to hear the prayers of his children. So when we talk about what prayer is, please don't miss out on how amazing of a truth this is. Prayer is talking to God, that we can come before God with our praises. We can come before God with our sins and our prayers of repentance. We can come before God with our requests. And, and that leads me to the second point I want to make on what prayer is. Prayer is more than just requests. Prayer includes requests. It is not a bad thing to ask things from God. We are instructed to let our requests be made known to God in the book of Philippians. However, I would, if I was a betting man, I would bet that there are more than a few of you who would say, yeah, I'm struggling in my prayer life. And if we really dug in, it's probably because the only types of prayers that you ever pray are requests. God, I need this. God, would you fix that? God, would you do this? God, would you help? Now, requests are, are fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But prayer is bigger than just that. Amen? And there's a, there's a teaching tool, uh, uh, an acronym that maybe some of you have heard. If not, I'll share this with you briefly. It's the word ACTS, A-C-T-S. And the four letters stand for adoration, which is just God, you're amazing, praising him. Confession, here's my sins. Here's the things I need to repent of. There's thanksgiving, which is uh, pretty obvious. You're bringing things that you're thankful to God. And then supplication of those requests. Now, I give that to you because I think that's a helpful tool and it helps us remember that there's more to prayer. I actually think that the Lord's Prayer that we're going to be examining, I think the Lord's Prayer is actually a better teaching tool, is actually a better rubric for us, but that's a helpful one as well. So that's what prayer is. Prayer is talking to God and it includes requests, but it's bigger than that. Second question is this, why is prayer important? The reason why prayer is important is because we were created for relationship with God. Did you know that God is a communicative God? If you read Genesis 1, how did God create the heavens and the earth? What did he do? He spoke, and God said, and God said, and God said. What, what God's word says is that his, his word, when God speaks, it always accomplishes what he sets out to accomplish. God's word does not return empty or does not return void. God is a communicative God. So we, as image bearers of God, we're created in his image and likeness. We are communicators as well. God has created us to be communicative. I was actually reading just yesterday in the book of Jeremiah, uh, Old Testament prophet. I'm just reading that, kind of personally going through that book. And there's a, there's a line in there where God is speaking. He says, from the time I brought you out of slavery in Egypt to the time right now, I have never stopped sending my messengers, the prophets, to you. 
God's basically saying, I just, I never stop talking to you. I am always communicating to you. I am always speaking to you. And as creations in his image and likeness, we were created to communicate to him. We were created for relationship with God. But the second thing I would say to you is this. Prayer is just what God's children do. It's just what we do. Think about it this way. I love this quote from from J.C. Ryle, a Puritan preacher. He says this, Just as the first sign of the life of an infant when born into the world is the act of breathing, so the first act of men and women when they are born again is praying. It's as important to Christianity as breathing is to life. Prayer is just what we do. Think about it this way. If you had a child, for those of you who are parents, or have been parents, or want to be parents, you have a child that never communicates to you, never speaks to you? Well, I know there's at least a few of you stay-at-home moms, like, that actually sounds kind of awesome, like, maybe for a day or two, right? But think about it. If, if you have a child that never speaks to you, you would, you would at some point think, well, there's an issue here. There's a problem. Maybe we need to uh, have them tested or see a specialist or something, right? Communication is essential in that parent-child relationship, and so it is with us as Christians, as children of God. But I want to examine the problem because we know what prayer is and we know that prayer is important, right? Have I made a compelling enough case that prayer is important? I don't feel like I should have to. It's kind of just right there, obvious at the surface. But prayer is important, but we don't pray. If we're being honest, we, we don't pray. I, I, how many of you, quick show of hands, would say that your prayer life is absolutely rock solid and there's no room for growth or improvement anywhere, Right? Don't raise your hand. I don't want you to lie in church, right? <laughs> How many of you would say, yeah, absolutely. There are areas big time that I could grow in my prayer life. Yeah, it's most all of us. We don't pray. Let me give you my top four reasons why I think we don't pray. The first one is this. Genuinely just a lack of instruction. Like we saw here in Luke 11, the disciples asking Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? We just don't know how. Maybe you are a new Christian and, and you just... You hear people praying, but you're not sure how to do it. Or maybe you are a little bit more of an introvert. And you don't like speaking out in front of people or maybe speaking out loud at all. You're more of an internal processor. Maybe uh, for some of you, you've only heard prayers that were really fancy and really ornate. Or maybe you have that uncle at Thanksgiving who just prays forever and you're like, I can't do that, right? So sometimes we just need to learn practically how to pray. Paul in Romans 8 actually says there are times we don't know how to pray as we ought to. If the Apostle Paul can admit that, if the disciples of Jesus can admit that, I think it's okay for us to admit, yeah, we need instruction. We need to learn how to pray. That one's okay. Number two is not okay. Unconfessed sin. There are times in our life where we do not pray because we are holding on to sinful attitudes or thoughts or behaviors that we don't want to give up. And we know that going before the face of God in prayer is an, it's a relational thing. It's an intimate thing. And if we were to go before God that way, we would have to give up our sin. And if we we're being totally honest, we would say there are times in our lives where we prefer our sin to that closeness with God. Here's a quote again from J.C. Ryle. This is what he says about this. He says, prayer and sinning will never live together in the same heart Prayer will consume sin or sin will choke prayer. You can be sure that men fall in private long before they fall in public. They are backsliders on their knees long before they backslide openly in the eyes of the world. And if you can't say amen, you at least ought to say ouch, right? <sighs> Thank you for taking me up on that. 
You know, if you're a Christian, you belong to God. You're saved. You're secure. There's nothing in all of creation that can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. However, if you are a Christian who is walking in unrepentant, unconfessed sin, it will by nature drive a relational wedge in between you and your God. And so sometimes we don't pray because there is unconfessed sin. The third one is this, fear. <clears throat> or maybe another kind of related way to look at it would be hurt or pain. You're apprehensive. For some of you, the fear is you don't like to call on God as father because in your past, you were abused by a father. And the word father is not a safe word. It's not a loving word. It's a place of great pain. It's a place of great injury. And so to go before God as father actually provokes a lot of fear. Or maybe for some of you, uh, you had a father that was distant and aloof and kind of just off doing their own thing. And, and you're afraid that to go to God with your prayers and requests, he's just going to hear it that same way and just kind of be distant or aloof. Or maybe some of you have actually been through some really difficult situations and you prayed and you asked God for help and the answer at that time was no in the way that you were asking. And so now you're like, well, prayer doesn't work. Why would I, why would I do that again? For some of you, your prayer life is hindered because there's fear or there's pain and you have not yet known, as 1 John says, the perfect love of God that drives out fear. Perfect love drives out fear. And the more that you know that you are loved perfectly by a perfect God, the more that fear starts to go away. But I think for many, this is a very real hindrance to our prayer lives. And the number four, I think the, the, the number four obstacle that my list of top four obstacles in our prayer life, it would be busyness. And let me say this with the loving pastoral sharpness that I mean this to have. I think for many of us, busyness is just a cover for indifference and apathy. We simply don't care. Is it okay to say that? Okay, I'm going to say it. We say we're busy, but if we were truthful, we find time for the things that are important to us. The voice, social media, Chipotle, whatever it is that's important to you. I've wanted a burrito all day. I've been talking about Chipotle. Whatever it is that's important to us, we will find time for it. We will make time. We say we're busy, but what we're really is not busy. We have our priorities out of whack, and we just don't care. And I, I'm not saying this to you in judgment. I am recognizing this is something that's true in my own life as well. I say that something's important, but then I don't follow through because in my heart, it's really not actually important. Busyness is often a cover for indifference. In the Psalm, Psalm 131, uh, the psalmist writes about a time when I have quieted and stilled my soul before you. He says, I don't think of things too great and lofty for me, but I've quieted and I've stilled my soul. It says, like, like a young child is with its mother. There's a very good and healthy and biblical place for Christian meditation. Pagan meditation is try to blank yourself out and be uh, empty. Christian meditation is to Push aside the cares and the distractions of the world so that your mind can be filled with the truth of God's word. That's what Christian meditation is, that Jesus would often go away to lonely, solitary places to be alone with his Father. Here's my challenge to you. During these next six weeks, as we go through this Lord's Prayer sermon series, would you find at least one, but hopefully more, times where you can carve away a whole morning or a whole afternoon or even a whole day to go be alone with God Maybe for you it's a hike or a nature walk or go for a drive. And I just encourage you, don't even, don't take your phone with you or take your phone with you so you don't get like lost or eaten by a bear or something. But like turn it off, 
Take your Bible, take a notebook, and just go be alone with God and allow your soul to be quieted and stilled. Can I give you that as a, as a challenge, as a, as a follow-through? To test your heart. Are you really that busy, or is it that you don't care? So we don't pray, but then there's a whole other list of problems. We do pray, but we pray wrongly. Let me just briefly go over some of this list that the Bible talks about ways that we pray wrongly. The first one is ritualistically. It is not a bad thing to be a disciplined person. It's not a bad thing to say, I get up early and I do a prayer time early in the morning, but it is a bad thing if that's the only time you ever pray or if it becomes something where you just are going through the motions and you're just doing a ritual. It, it's, it's not a bad thing to have written or prepared prayers, not at all, but it is if you only use those. Do you understand the difference? It's, it's not a bad thing to be faithful. It is not a bad thing to be disciplined. But when our hearts become ritualistic, that is sin. Number two, sometimes our prayers are just lengthy for length's sake, right? Sometimes we just pray. And, and really, again, it's not a sin to pray for a long time. The Apostle Paul says we should pray without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances and praying day and night. That's, that's a good thing. We should pray for a long time. But when you think that a longer prayer therefore makes you more holy or that God's going to listen to you more because your prayer is long, then that's where we're praying wrongly. Mark 12, Jesus rebukes the Pharisees for praying for appearance sake, just long prayers. For appearance sake, I just want to pray a long time just to, to feel better about myself. Number three is we pray wrongly when our prayers are heartless. In Isaiah, God rebukes the people. He says, these people, they, they draw near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are really far from me. I'm saying the words, I'm going through the motions, but really my heart's not engaged. If I could apply this to us today, I think there are many times where when we are praying or specifically when we are singing, that we are just heartless. I love you. I care about you. But I want you to know that our, our songs are actually prayers to God. And there are many times where, and I'm confessing for myself as well, I'm just singing the words and my heart's not really active and my heart's not really engaged. Sometimes we pray to be seen by others. We want them to see us. We want them to think that we're very spiritual. This is actually the concern. If you go to Matthew 6 and read the Lord's Prayer version in Matthew 6, this is the concern that Jesus is addressing. I just want to be seen by others. I'm not concerned about addressing God as much as I'm concerned about looking good and praying good in front of these other people. And number five, we pray wrongly when our prayers are just self-centered. Me, God, me and myself and I, and by the way, did I mention me? Again, it's not a wrong thing to make requests for yourself, for your family, for your life, your situation. But if that is the preponderance, if that's the bulk, if that's all your prayer life is, then yes, that is a wrong way to pray. Anybody feeling some conviction in here tonight yet? We don't pray, or when we do, we pray wrongly. I have great news for us. I have great news for us in that God loves us. He knows that we are weak, like children, and in his grace, Jesus has given us a model of how to pray. Jesus addresses all of these concerns and more in the Lord's Prayer. Let's talk about the Lord's Prayer for a minute. One thing I want you to see about the Lord's Prayer is that I believe it's a regular part of Jesus' teaching ministry. The reason I believe this is you find it in two different passages in the New Testament, in the Gospels, and you actually find it in two very different contexts. The first time you see it, if you're just reading straight through the New Testament, is in Matthew 6, where Jesus is preaching perhaps the most famous sermon ever. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. 
And he's just going through and he starts teaching about prayer and he goes into the Lord's Prayer. And then the other times we read a minute ago was in Luke 11. He's, he's away, he's alone, he's praying. His disciples come up to him and say, hey, would you teach us how to pray? And he starts teaching them how to pray. When you look at these two different versions, they are virtually identical, although the version in Matthew is expounded upon. They're the same lines, they're the same concepts, but Matthew expands a few of the sentences a little bit longer. And so for this series, we're going to be sticking with Matthew's version because it gives us a little bit more information to work with. But I believe that this was a regular part of Jesus' teaching ministry, that he was teaching his disciples, he taught it in the Sermon on the Mount. As he traveled around, he likely taught on this subject of prayer multiple times. The second thing I want you to understand about the Lord's Prayer is it is not a poem, but a pattern for us to follow. Uh, I actually like the Lord's Prayer. It's beautiful. It sounds like a poem. How great is God that he gives us a prayer model that's actually aesthetically pleasing, right? It's, it's easy to memorize. It's easy to say. And actually, I heard a few of you say uh, trespasses when we were trying to say debtors. And again, I said there's no judgment here, but you, you have that ingrained in you probably because you said it a certain way many, many times growing up. My daughter, my five-year-old daughter, all my daughters uh, can say the Lord's Prayer, even my five-year-old daughter. I guess my two-year-old can't quite yet, but uh, she's working on it. Because it's an easy and memorable prayer, but it is not a poem. Jesus didn't give it to us so that we could just recite the Lord's Prayer over and over and over again. He gave it to us to teach us a model for prayer. And as I see it, there are six main elements in the Lord's Prayer. The first one is this, the gospel. That's what we're going to spend the ending of our time talking about, the, our Father. The second is praise and adoration. That's where he says, hallowed be your name. That's where we direct our praises to God and we tell him how amazing he is and we worship him. Number three is your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that there are a lot of things in this world and in this life that are out of alignment with God's perfect will for the world. And so we pray that he would restore things into his perfect will the way it is in his kingdom. Number four is requests. Give us this day our daily bread. That's totally okay to be a part of your prayer life. Requests are good. Number five is repentance and forgiveness. And you might be thinking, well, wait, isn't that two different things? But remember how it's phrased? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In, in God's economy, repentance and forgiveness are inseparable. You cannot say, dear Lord, please forgive me for my sins, but I would like to hold on to this bitterness and offense toward this other person who hurt, who hurt me for a few more months, please and thank you. That's not how it works, right? God says, you will be forgiven, and the evidence of your forgiveness will be that you forgive others freely. So those two are tied together, inseparable. And then lastly, spiritual warfare. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That we have an enemy, that we're in a battle, that there is a war going on around us, and God wants us to be on the offensive against the enemy who wants to steal, kill, destroy, and fill our hearts with lies about God and about ourselves. So that's a, a snapshot, really, of where we're going over the next six weeks. It's, it's not a poem. The Lord's Prayer is beautiful, but it's not a poem. It's a pattern for us to follow as we learn how to pray. And I would say this. The pattern can be used in one sitting, or it could be chopped up and you do one of these each day. Maybe you want to sit down for your prayer time and you go through all six stages of the Lord's Prayer and you take some time and praise Him for the gospel and you take some time to praise and adore Him. You take some time to pray for things that are out of alignment with His kingdom. That's personally uh, the way that I really enjoy praying is to order my prayer kind of in these six steps. It's easy for me to remember. So others like to take Monday as Gospel Prayers Day and Tuesday is praise and adoration and so, so on and so forth. Either one's okay. 
Maybe there's other creative ways to, to utilize this, but I believe that Jesus is teaching us a pattern to follow, not just a nice, pretty poem to recite. Do I get an amen from anybody on that? Now, with all that said, I want to now turn our attention. That was just the intro, by the way. That's the sermon intro. Um, let's get into the real sermon now. I want to take the last few minutes that we have and really dive into this first phrase, the our Father in heaven. And I want to teach you something that um, has been actually helpful to me and to many others. There's a teaching tool called the Heidelberg Catechism. And if that's a big fancy word, don't let it scare you. Heidelberg is the city in Germany where this came out of right after the time of the Protestant Reformation, right after Martin Luther. And then catechism is just a series of questions and answers that people have asked and answered to try to help understand what it is that the Bible teaches. And so we're going to read through these questions, just a couple about our Father in heaven, to see how faithful Christians in years past have answered this question about the Lord's Prayer and why we pray our Father in heaven. So here's the question. I give this to you. Uh, it says this. Why has Christ commanded us to address God thus, or this way, our Father and here's the answer, that immediately in the very beginning of our prayer, he might excite in us a childlike reverence for and confidence in God, which are the foundation of our prayer, namely that God is become our father in Christ and will much less deny us what we ask of him in true faith than our parents will refuse us earthly things. So the answer that they're saying is, why, why do we pray to God as Father? And it's so that we might be excited about our powerful and amazing Heavenly Father, the way that a little child is excited about and confident about their Father. You guys weren't here this morning during the 9 a.m. service, but during the 9 a.m. service, I was finishing up and I was doing kind of the closing announcements and my family arrived here a little bit early for the 11 o'clock service and my daughter, my five-year-old, escaped from my wife and ran literally right here while I'm doing the closing announcements and said, hey, Dad, can I come up there with you? And I thought, what a perfect illustration to what we're just talking about, that, that we have this excitement for our Heavenly Father. That's why we're to pray to Him that way and, and a confidence in Him. Last night, we're brushing our teeth with the kids, and my two-year-old, with no warning, no heads up whatsoever, what does she do? She jumps right off the counter at me, thinking I'm going to like just catch her, and by God's grace, I did. You know, I pulled out like an epic, you know, Richard Sherman interception. I caught her and it was, it was, it was all good. But she had this confidence in me that was very ill-placed. <laughs> and it just made me think as I'm thinking about this sermon, I thought, you know, somewhere along the way, we as Christians sometimes lose that excitement and that confidence in our God. You know what I'm talking about? The second question from the Heidelberg Catechism to kind of help get our wheels turning is this. Why is it added here which art in heaven? And it says that in, lest we should form any earthly conceptions of God's heavenly majesty and that we may expect from his almighty power all things necessary for soul and body. Basically, it's to say so that we can worship God and see how amazing he is and that we can make requests of him. Now, those parts we're going to cover in some future weeks. We're going to talk about praise and adoration next week. We're going to talk about requests in a few weeks. So I want to spend the last few minutes of our time here just really looking at the words, our Father. I want to talk about our Father, those two words. What does it mean that we pray to God as our Father? The first is this. Our Father is about Jesus. It's about his identity, and it's about his mission, before we 
jump into what it means for us. Let us first remember that our Father is about who Jesus is and what he came to do. Think about this. Jesus, as a a young child, he gets lost in the temple. He gets left behind in the temple, and Joseph and Mary come up, and they scold him, and they say, what are you doing? And he says, well, didn't you know I would be in my father's house? And Jesus, as he is baptized, it says he goes into the water, and he comes up from the water, and a voice speaks out loud and says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And Jesus, as he goes about his earthly ministry, he says, I only do that which I see my father doing. And as he prays for his disciples, he says, Father, I pray that my disciples may be one, just like you and I are one. On the night of his betrayal, on the night of his arrest, he's praying in the garden. He cries out, Father, if there is any way, if it be possible to take this cup from me, do it, but not my will, yours be done. And on the cross, as Jesus is crucified for our sins, hung on a tree in our place, Jesus cries out, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus lived his entire life as a son before his heavenly father. Jesus shows us that that God is a trinity, one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All three are fully God. There's no JV or C team members of the trinity. But Jesus has taken a place of deference and submission to the Father. He is the eternally begotten Son of the Father, the one and only unique Son of the Father. And so when we see these words, our Father, it should make us think of Jesus the true son of God, the one who not only was the true son of God in his identity, but his mission was to redeem the world. You know, in the Old Testament, God called a group of people called the Israelites. And he said, you're gonna be my son, this nation, this people. You're gonna be my son. You're gonna be my people. And he gave them a job to do. You know what that job was? To be a blessing to all of the nations of the earth. You're gonna go to all the nations of the earth and you're gonna be a blessing to them. There's just one little problem They never did it. They were incredibly creative in thinking up ways to fail in the mission that God gave to them. Time and time again, God warned them. Time and time again, God pleaded with them. This is your mission. This is your job. And they failed. Jesus comes on the scene as the true Israel, the one who fulfills God's mission to be a blessing to all of the nations on the earth. Guess what, Americans? We're the nations. We're the recipients of that grace. We're the recipients of Jesus' faithfulness to God's mission. The the people who are primarily here tonight were not of of Jewish background. We're of all sorts of various nationalities coming together here in the 21st century United States of America. Why? Because Jesus was faithful as the true son of God to the mission that God had given to him. A mission to live, a mission to die, a mission to rise again. You You guys realize that the tomb is empty? And Jesus is alive. He was faithful to the mission. So when we see our Father, before we jump to ourselves, let's remember Jesus. Our Father is about Jesus, his identity, and his mission. Secondly, our Father is about adoption. Jesus came to save us, amen? Jesus came to work salvation, and salvation is a big word. Salvation means a lot of different things. It means predestination. It means the gospel call. It means regeneration. It means sanctification. It means glorification. And of all of those parts of salvation, the one that consistently, for me personally, just blows my mind is the doctrine of adoption. 
I can sort of imagine a king who decides to forgive a debt. What I can't imagine is that king saying, not only do I forgive your debt, but I want you to come be a part of my family and I want to give you a full share of the inheritance and you're gonna, be, you're gonna live with me forever. <laughs> that is amazing. Some of you might be saying, well, wait a minute. I thought everybody got to call on God as father. I thought God was all of our father. In one sense, yes, we are all created by God, so he is our father in that sense. But the Bible also speaks that because of our sins, we are alienated and estranged from God. We're like rebellious children. We're like runaways. We're like orphans. We're like abandoned children. It actually says in Ephesians 2 that we are, because of our sins, by nature, children of wrath. The only way we get to call on God as Father is if we're Christians. Did you know that? I know that's not popular to say in our culture where we're very uh, tolerant and, and very accepting of everyone, but Jesus was very clear. The only way you get to call on Father is through the Son. Here's what Romans 8 says. This is the Apostle Paul writing. He says this, You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of What's the word, church? Adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Abba is, is a term of endearment. It's a term of closeness, Daddy. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. I'll explain that more in a minute. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. The gospel is about adoption. It's a beautiful picture. J.I. Packer, a Bible teacher and scholar and pastor, he says this about adoption. He says five things about adoption. Adoption means that we are loved as much as Jesus is. Let that sink in for a minute. I'm not very lovable. I have not lived a perfect life like Jesus did. I have not been perfectly pleasing to the Father the way Jesus has. Yeah, but if you're a Christian, if you've been adopted into the family, then you are in Christ and God looks at you with the same affection that he has for his only son, Jesus. Remember that scene I just mentioned when, when Jesus comes up out of the water and God says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. If you are in Christ, that's true about you as well. God doesn't look at you with arms crossed and eyebrows scrunched down, just waiting for you to mess up again. No, God looks at you with all of the affection that he has for Jesus. Do you believe that? Some of you struggle to believe that. Adoption means that we are co-heirs with Jesus. An heir is someone who receives an inheritance. And in the ancient world, only the firstborn received any of the, the inheritance. Jesus earned the inheritance by living a perfect life. Raise your hand here if you've lived a perfect, pleasing life to God. Don't raise your hand because then you would be lying and you'd mess up your streak that you were on, right? Jesus has earned eternal life. Jesus has earned eternal life with God. And because of what Jesus has done, when we place our faith in him, we get adopted into the family of God. Guess what? We get the same thing as Jesus. We get eternal life with God. We get a new heavens and a new earth restored and freed from all the damaging effects of sin. We get resurrection bodies that are freed from sickness and sin and disease and injury. Do I get an amen from anybody on that one? That's what Jesus has earned and he shares it with those who believe in him. 
Adoption means that we have God's spirit in us. It means that we're brought into the family of God. It means that he gives us the Holy Spirit as a down payment of the full inheritance that we're to receive. Number four, it means that we must honor God above every other allegiance. It means that we honor God above every other allegiance, even allegiance to family, amen? Even allegiance to country, amen? Some of you, even allegiance to the Seahawks, right? You're like, don't go there, bro. <laughs> Whatever it is that you have an allegiance to, the most important things in your life, if you're adopted by God, it means that he must be your primary allegiance, that you love him to the point where it looks like you'd be willing to forsake anything else just to have him. That's what it means to be adopted. And number five, it means that we must love our brothers and sisters. Somebody say, uh-oh. God doesn't adopt any only children, amen? He adopts us into a big, happy, sometimes messy family, amen? And I know there's a few of you who are thinking like, yeah, but God, did we have to adopt that one into the family? And the answer is yes, because he knew that you needed to be shaped and challenged and changed in that specific way. So he brought that person in the family just to help grow you. That's why the Bible has all those one another scriptures. That's why community is so important for us as a church. I love the, my favorite of the one another scriptures. You know, there's love one another, forgive one another. My favorite is the bear with one another. That's just an old fashioned way of saying put up with one another, right? Till you die and they die and you go to be with Jesus and you're both perfected and then it's going to be all right, right? Bear with one another. The Bible is honest. The Bible knows that sometimes we rub each other the wrong way. The Bible knows that sometimes we grate on each other and get under each other's skin. But if we are truly adopted, it means that we learn how to love one another as other recipients of God's amazing grace. That's what adoption means. You know, there's a verse in John 1 where the, the apostle John is, is speaking about this gift. He says, to all who did receive him, who, to all who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Uh, a couple weeks ago, my wife and I just finished up some foster care licensing classes. My wife and I are uh, getting licensed to be foster parents, and they're talking about foster care. They're talking about adoption. And they said something, the teacher said something that I had known, but I had forgotten about, and it was a powerful reminder to me. Did you know that in 21st century United States of America, when someone is adopted, the government issues a new birth certificate that says that the adopted child was born to the adoptive parents. Did you know that happens? And I was actually talking to a family after the first service this morning that said, it's true, I have a birth certificate for our adopted son that says in 1980, whatever, I gave birth in Little Rock, Arkansas. I've never been to Arkansas, but apparently I gave birth there in the 80s, right? That's what the birth certificate says. Did you know that if you're a Christian, you've been given a new spiritual birth certificate? Not born of the flesh or the blood or of the will of man, but you're born of God. You belong to God. And there is nothing that holds you. There is no one that has a claim on you that's more powerful than your heavenly father. You belong to God. If you are a Christian, you have been adopted into the family. Whatever your past says about you, whatever claims that the enemy may, may try to make on you, no, you were born of God. God, you have a new spiritual birth certificate. 
Is that good news to anybody else tonight? So good. Our Father is about Jesus. Our Father is about adoption. And our Father is the starting point for all prayer. Again, we only get to come to God with all of those other prayers, all of those other requests, because we're adopted sons and daughters. Jesus very clearly said in, in John chapter 14, he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. To those of you who are non-Christians, I love you. You cannot pray to God in the same way that those who are Christians can. Your starting point is to call on him as Father. Forgive me for my sins. Receive me into your family. Give me your grace. And then the whole world of, of prayer is opened us, up to us. When we pray, our Father is the starting point for all of our other prayers. And number four, our Father means that we can know that God hears our prayers. It's interesting, in, in uh, Luke 11, the passage I started out reading, after he teaches them the Lord's Prayer, he launches into this parable and he basically says, if you have a friend and they live next door to you and you go to them at midnight and you start knocking on the door and say, hey, can I borrow some bread? And go knock on your neighbor's door at midnight and ask for some bread. I dare you to try that, okay? Especially in Linwood. <laughs> You'll get that on the drive home. Friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine's arrived on a journey. I need to feed him. And the, the neighbor's gonna say, what's the neighbor gonna say? Don't bother me. The door's shut. My children are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. And I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because of his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Basically saying like, this is just so crazy. I'm gonna get up out of bed and give the guy bread just to get him to go away. I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be open. Talks about if you go to your heavenly father and you ask for a good gift, is he going to give you a, a stone? You ask for bread, he's going to give you a rock. You ask for a fish, he's going to give you a snake. No. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You can know that God hears your prayers because of this doctrine of adoption. You can know. Some of you are afraid, but I'm telling you, not on my own authority, but on the authority of the word of God, that God hears your prayers. If you are a Christian, God hears your prayers. I didn't say he's always going to say yes to whatever you asked for, but he hears you. I love the way that Tim Keller puts it. He says, the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. We have that kind of access. God is a king, God is a ruler, God is the master of heaven and earth, but if you are his child, then you can wake him up at three in the morning and ask for a glass of water. Isn't that amazing? I love that. Let me, let me bring it to a close by just trying to put this uh, to work practically in our lives. What does this look like lived out? The first thing is this. I encourage you to pray to your father. It is absolutely biblical. It is absolutely okay to pray to any one of the members of the Trinity. You can pray to Jesus. There are examples of people in the Bible praying to Jesus. You can pray to the Holy Spirit. There are examples of people in the Bible praying to the Holy Spirit. But if Jesus modeled for us and instructed us that when we pray, we should pray to our Father, then I encourage you to pray to your Father. This is not a law, but it is a good uh, practice and a good strong encouragement that I would say the majority of your prayers should be addressed to God, your Heavenly Father. It's fine to pray to Jesus. It's fine to pray to the Spirit. But I would encourage you in your prayer lives, address God as Father. Number two, putting this into practice, pray gospel prayers. 
Some of you skip right over the gospel when you pray. You go right to request, but I would encourage you, pray gospel prayers. God, thank you for the gift of Jesus. Thank you for the gift of salvation and for adopting me into your family. God, thank you for your wisdom that before the foundations of the earth, you had a plan to adopt children from every nation and tribe and tongue. God, I pray for these friends of mine who don't yet know you as Father. Would you save them? Would you redeem them? Would you draw them to yourselves? Pray gospel prayers. Can you do that? Can you pray gospel prayers? Number three, putting this into practice, fight against lies. What I mean is this. Some of you have bought into a lie that your heavenly Father is not pleased with you. You're a Christian. You have been saved. You have been given God's grace, but you have a distant relationship with God because of past hurt, past abuse, the enemy would love nothing more for you to believe a lie that you are unloved or that God is distant and far off and aloof. And I'm telling you, praying our Father means that we go to war against those lies. Please do not project the image of your sinful, imperfect Heavenly Father onto the perfect Heavenly Father. Your, sorry, your, your sinful, imperfect earthly Father onto your Heavenly Father. Rather, Come to the Father through his word and learn what he's really like. That psalm that we read earlier in the service, Psalm 103, has just amazing things to say about what our God is like. In fact, if you're someone who struggles with believing these lies, that you are loved by your Father, that you are, uh, you are important to him, I encourage you, even just close your eyes. Let me read these to you again. I want to read these words from Psalm 103. Let these minister to your heart. The Lord is merciful and gracious, Friend, do you know God is merciful and gracious? Your Father is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger and he's abounding in steadfast love. Some of you knew an earthly father who had a very short wick. Your heavenly Father is slow to anger. He does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities. He's so gracious to us, church. As far as the east is from the west, that's, that's forever, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion, as a father shows compassion, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. You can open your eyes. Some of you may need to commit this psalm to memory. Some of you may need to read this every single day to fight against the lies that the enemy wants you to believe that you're not loved. I love the way that St. Augustine, early church father and theologian put it, he says this, God's love is incomprehensible and unchangeable for it was not after we were reconciled to him through the blood of his son that he began to love us. Rather, he has loved us before the world was created that we also might be his sons along with his only begotten son before we became anything at all. So good. Number four, putting this into practice, means that you share this message of adoption. Thank you, God, for adopting me. We're done now, right? No. God's got more kids he wants to add to the family. Well, God, would you send some Christians to go tell those people that I love about this message of adoption? Well, you're there. God's inviting you to pray for those people, yes, but then go talk to them. 
Tell them about the invitation from this loving Heavenly Father. Let me close with this quote from uh, scholar and theologian N.T. Wright. He says this, When we call God Father, we are called to step out as apprentice children into a world of pain and darkness. We will find that darkness all around us. It will terrify us precisely because it will remind us of the darkness inside our own selves. The temptation then is to switch off the news, to shut out the pain of the world, to create a painless world for ourselves. And a good deal of our contemporary culture is designed to do exactly that. No wonder people find it hard to pray. But if, as the people of the living creator God, we respond to the call to be his sons and daughters, if we take the risk of calling him father, then we are called to be the people through whom the pain of the world is held in the healing light of the love of God. And then, I love this, then we discover that we want to pray and need to pray this prayer. Church, you are loved by God. He's your perfect heavenly father. You're adopted in. And he wants us to rejoice in that and then to share it. Is that good news? That's so good news. You think that might affect your prayer life some? I hope and pray it does. I want to call us now to a time of response. We're going to respond as we do in a variety of ways. The first way we're going to respond is through the giving of our tithes and offerings. If you are a guest or a visitor, uh, please know that you're not under any obligation to give. You're invited to if you'd like, but this is something that, that we do as uh, people who have been loved by God, who have been served by God, and so we want to give uh, of our finances because God has given us his very best. If you want to give online, you can do so on our, our church's website, soundcitybiblechurch.com slash give, or if you want information on texting to give, it's in your Connect card. While they're collecting the offering, I'd like to go over a few discussion questions for us uh, this week in our community groups and in our homes to talk about. First is, why is prayer so important in the life of a Christian? And number two, share vulnerably. Uh, what are the areas in your prayer life where you struggle? Number three, how does the phrase, our Father in heaven, embody the gospel message? And a couple more personal ones for you to be just open and transparent. How do you personally experience God as Father? How can you grow in that experience? And then number five, what are some distortions or roadblocks that you may have to viewing and experiencing God as a gracious and loving Father? All of these are posted up on our website. The, the questions from the Heidelberg Catechism are up there. Some resources for further reading, reading are up there. Would love to encourage you to take advantage of these next six weeks and really dive deep into the topic of prayer. And you can find a lot more resources uh, on our website under the sermons tab. More than just discussion questions, I actually want to give you some prayer points this week. This will be a little bit newer for us, but for those of you who are in community groups or leading community groups, I would encourage you to take some extra time this week to actually pray. Don't just talk about prayer, but really carve out some time to pray. So here's some things that you can pray about. Pray that all of us as Christians would experience God as Father in a deeper and more meaningful way. Number two, pray that the gospel would shape all that we think, say, and do as a church. Number three, pray that many non-Christians would come to know God as Father through us as individual disciples as well as through us as a church. And then number four, pray for specific friends and family who do not yet know God as Father or Jesus as Savior. I want you to pray about these things in community group this week. We're also going to, in a minute, we're going to respond with a celebration of communion, the Lord's table, where we remember that Jesus' body was broken and his blood was poured out that we could be adopted into the family. We practice an open table, which means if you're a Christian, you're welcome to join us. If you're not a Christian, you're welcome to give your sin to Jesus and trust in him and 
join us for the first time at the table. And we're also going to sing. Sean and uh, Elizabeth have got some songs prepared for us to sing that speak of the amazing truth of this, this doctrine of our Father, God is our Father. We're actually going to sing a new song tonight that's unfamiliar to probably many of you, but it speaks specifically of this idea that we were adopted into his family. And so we'll sing that in a minute. But before we do, before we do, now this is where I get to rattle a few of your cages. Ready? Before we jump into our time of response and our time of singing like we normally do, what do you guys say we take a few minutes and actually go before God in prayer? Seems fitting, right? We just spent 45 minutes talking about prayer. What if we just spent some time in prayer? So we're going to leave these prayer points up. Here's what, you're, here's what you're allowed to do. Number one, you're allowed to pray. I love that. Encourage that. Number two, you're allowed not to pray. I'm not going to force you. That would be antithetical to the gospel message I just preached. Number three, you are allowed to pray individually by yourself, quietly, however you see fit. But number four, you're also allowed to gather up in some small groups and pray with some people around you. Maybe you came with a friend or your spouse or there's some people from your community group. Maybe you're an extrovert and you'd like to just include people. Do so gently for those who might be introverts, okay? But let's just do this. Let's take a few minutes before we go into our time of singing, before we go into our time of response. Sean's going to just play some music quietly and we're going to take a few minutes right here in service and pray. Pastor, are we going all charismatic? Sure, call whatever you want. We're going to just pray. How about that, okay? <laughs> so, I've warned you. I've told you what we're going to do. Look around. Choose your prayer partners wisely. I'm going to count to three, and then I'm going to turn you loose to just spend a few minutes in prayer. Again, like I said, you're, you're welcome to pray however you feel led or see fit. But I would encourage you, if you'd be so bold, to gather up with some fellow uh, brothers and sisters around you and spend some time in prayer. So you ready? On the count of three, and then I'm going to release you to pray, and then at the end, I'll come up and pray, and we'll begin our time of singing in response. Ready? One. Oh, some of you are twitching. I love this. One, two, three. Let's go ahead and pray. <laughs>